Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101, and today we are going to be doing the timeline and history of Aurelia as told throughout the entire Throne of Glass series. I spent roughly two weeks painstakingly going through each and every single one of my tabs, basically skim reading the Throne of Glass series and pulling apart every time that the history of Aurelia had been mentioned and trying to set up the timeline so that we can understand how it might line up with the rest of the SJM universe. Now, before we go any further, I want to say one thing. You know those tarot card readers on TikTok and they're like, just take what resonates with you and leave the rest behind? That's what I want you to do with this episode because... One of my most beloved people in the entire universe, one of my very bestest friends who I talk to every single day and I have since finishing HOSAB basically because we became friends after the ending through TikTok because of the ending of HOSAB. She is a very big advocate of Throne of Glass timeline being in the past. I respect her. I adore her. I believe basically everything that she says with a caveat. I am allowing room, wiggle room, for Throne of Glass to either be in the past or to be happening simultaneously. If you are one of the people who want to throw timeline out, I love that for you. I, I see where you guys come from. I'm on the fence to it, uh, honestly, because of how we see time and, and realms and all that stuff being so Inter interwebbed, as we have talked about beforehand. So if you're one of those people who want to say the Tog is in the past, that's great, and I think that you will still gather a lot of knowledge and a lot of things on this subject. Things that might even help further your theories. I am going to be talking, for the sake of this episode and for the sake of right now, I'm going to be talking as if Throne of Glass is happening simultaneously, and you'll see why I'm starting to lean towards Throne of Glass is happening simultaneously, and that the events of Maeve and all of this and Brannon all happened 1,500 years ago, probably exactly. And we're going to start in Tower of Dawn, chapter 48, the last paragraph of 48 and moving into 49. And then we're going to break. It's basically a chapter breakdown, but it's not. Um, I just want to read this ch section because it has most of the information somewhat in chronological order. And then I'm going to fill in all the gaps afterwards. Now, before we go any further, I don't speak for Sarah. I don't speak for Bloomsbury. This is what I have been able to gather, and this is me trying to put the puzzle pieces together to the best of my knowledge. It is a little confusing. I spent about two weeks uh, and some sleepless nights trying to figure out this timeline, and I was going, I was screaming to my, 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 my friends, my theory besties, who we have a group chat, we talk every day, we talk about SJM, we talk about theories. It's basically what's been getting me through this time, and yeah. And I was screaming, I was like, I just want to shake Sarah's shoulder and scream and like tell her, explain this to me! Because I was getting so confused because they kept saying millennia, 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 and I was like, there's no way all of this happened a thousand years ago. I do not understand. Come to find out, I'm a moron. <laughs> um, that shouldn't really be a surprise to anybody. I'm literally a dumbass. But it turns out, millennia is the plural form of millennium. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, when they say millennia, they're actually saying multiple thousands of years ago. 
but it, it's an unspecified number of multiple thousands. So we don't actually have like a clear timeline. And there's a few things that are a millennium ago, but even then, there's like this quote that happens. There's like Dorian says, "We're gonna we're gonna get into it. Never mind. I'm not even gonna. I'll I'll, I'll explain my confusion as we get to it. So we're gonna read from Tower of Dawn. As you guys know, I pronounce things wrong. I'm sorry." I'm working on it. I don't actually know how to pronounce the Hearth Mother's name, so I'm just going to change it to Hearth Mother because I don't even want to pretend to butcher it out of respect, if that makes any sense. So here we go. Also, it's raining really hard today, and today's the only day that I have to record. So if you hear rain, I hope it's just like adds to the atmosphere. I'm trying to record between the downpour that's happening right now but i'm sorry i need to get like a little recording booth okay so let's get into it i'm gonna read a story from tower of dawn 48 it's one page in 48 and a chunk of chapter 49 this is the story that the spider tells nezrin when nezrin kind of cons her into telling the story so that they have enough time to try and escape and it's the story of Maeve when she's in the Valk homeworld and also what happens between Maeve and Brannon. It's not the full story, but it does give us a good start to start off with. I'm going to read the entire thing and then we're going to go back through and we're going to fill in all of the gaps and all of the information that we do know about Brannon, what happened with Anthral, and then everything with Elena and Gavin, and then also some of the Witch Wars stuff and just get the timeline really solidified. So here we go. Nezrin's POV. The spider took a step forward, and Nezrin braced herself, but the spider lifted a thin, clawed leg and pointed to one of the polished, carved walls. We wait. And as her eyes had at last adjusted to the dimness, Nezrin saw what the spider pointed to. A carving of an archway. A gate. And a cloaked figure standing within it. She squinted, straining to make out who stood there. Who do you wait for? The hearth mother had said the Valk had once passed through here. The spider brushed aside the dirt crusted over the figure, revealing long flowing hair etched there, and what she had thought to be a cloak was a dress. Our queen, the spider said, we wait for her dark majesty to return at last. Not Erwin? Servants to a dark crown, the hearth mother had said. The spider spat, venom landing near Sartak's covered feet. Not him. Never him. Then who? We wait for the queen of the Valg, the spider purred, rubbing against the carving, who in this world calls herself Maeve. Queen of the Valg? Maeve is queen of the Fae, Nezrin countered carefully. The spider chuckled, low and wicked. So she has made them believe. Think, think, think. What? What a mighty... Powerful queen she must be, Nezrin stammered, to rule both. Falcon furiously chewed, each strand slowly, so slowly yielding. Will you, will you tell me the tale? The spider studied her, those depthless eyes like pits of hell. It will not buy you your life, mortal. I, I know, she shook further, the words tumbling out. Stories. I have always loved stories. Of these land especially. Windseeker, my mother called me, because I was always drifting where the wind tugged me, always dreaming of those stories. And here, here the wind has taken me. 
so I would hear one last tale if you allow it, before I meet my end. The spider remained quiet for a heartbeat. Another. Then she settled, herself beneath the carving of the archway. The word gate. Consider it a gift for your boldness, for even asking. Nazrin said nothing, heart thundering through every part of her body. Long ago, the spider said softly in a beautiful voice, in another world, another lifetime, there existed a land of dark and cold and wind, ruled by three kings, masters of shadow and pain, brothers. The world had not always been that way, had not been born that way, but they waged a mighty war, a war to end all wars, and those kings conquered it, turned it into a wasteland, a paradise for those who had dwelled in darkness. For a thousand years they ruled in equal power, their sons and daughters spread through the land to ensure their continued dominion, until a queen appeared, her power a new, dark song in the world. Such wondrous things she could do with her power, such horrible, wondrous things. The spider sighed. They each desired her, those kings, pursued her, wooed her, but she only designed to ally with one, the strongest of them. Erwin, Nazrin muttered. No. Orcrus, eldest of the Valg kings. They wed, but Maeve was not content. Restless, our queen spent long hours pondering the riddles of the world, of other worlds. And with her gifts, she found a way to look, to pierce the veil between worlds, to see realms of green, of light, and song. The spider spat as if such things were abhorrent. And one day, when the Orcrus was gone to see his brothers, she took the path between realms, stepped beyond her world into the next. Nezrin's blood went cold. How? She watched, had learned of such rips in the world, a door that could open and close at random, or if one knew the right words. The spider's dark eyes gleamed. We came with her, her beloved handmaidens. We stepped with her into this place, to this very spot. Nezrin glanced at the palace stone. Even Falcon seemed to pause to do the same. She bade us to stay, to guard the gate, lest anyone should pursue her, for she had decided she did not wish to go back, to her husband, to her world. So she went, and we only heard whisperings through our sisters and smaller kin carried on the wind. The spider fell silent. Nezrin pushed. What did you hear? That Orcrus arrived, his brothers in tow. That Orcrus had learned of his wife's leaving and discovered how she had done it, went beyond what she had done and found a way to control the gate between worlds, made keys to do so, shared with his brothers. Three keys for three kings. They went from world to world, opening gates as they willed it, sweeping in their armies and laying waste to those realms as they hunted for her, until they reached this world. Nezrin could barely draw a breath to ask. And they found her? No, the spider said, something like a smile in its voice. For her dark majesty had left these mountains and found another land and prepared herself well. She knew that one day she would be found and planned to hide within plain sight. So she did. She came across a lovely, long-lived people, near immortal themselves, who ruled over by two sister queens. Mab and Mora, holy gods. 
and using her power, she ripped into their minds, made them believe they had a sister, an eldest sister, to rule with them. Three queens. For the three kings, that might come one day. And when they returned to their palace, she tore into their minds of all those who dwelled there too, anyone who came, planting the thought that a third sister had always existed, always ruled. If they had somehow resisted her power, she found a ways to end them. A wicked chuckle. Nezrin had heard legends of Maeve dark, unnamed power, a darkness that could devour the stars. That Maeve had never revealed a fey form, only that deadly darkness, and that she had lived far beyond the lifespan of any known fey. Lived so long that the only comparable lifespan, Erwin, a Valg lifespan for a Valg queen. The spider paused again. Falcon had nearly reached her hands, but still not enough to free them. Nezrin asked. So... The Valg kings arrived, but didn't know who faced them in war? Precisely, a delighted purr. Disguised in a fey body, they did not recognize her, the fools. But she used it against them, knew how to defeat them, how their armies worked. And when she realized what they had done to arrive here, the keys they possessed, she wanted them. To banish them, kill them, and to use the keys as she saw fit within this world and others. So she took them, snuck in and took them, surrounded herself with fey warriors so others might not ask how she knew so many things. Oh, the clever queen claimed it was from communing with the spirit world, but she knew. She had run those war camps, knew how the kings worked, so she stole the keys. Managed to send two of those kings back, Orcreus, one of them. And before she could go after the final king the youngest one who loved his brothers so very deeply. The keys were taken from her. A hiss. By Brannon, Nezrin breathed. Yes, the Fire King. He saw the darkness in her, but did not recognize it. He wondered, suspected, but all he'd known of the Valg, our people, were male soldiers. Their grunts and princes and kings. He did not know that a female. How different... How extraordinary a female Valg is. Even he was tricked by her. She found paths into his mind to keep him from ever truly realizing it. Another soft, lovely laugh. Even now, when all should be clear to his meddlesome spirit, even now he does not know. To his oncoming doom, yes. To his doom and others. Nausea rolled through her. Aelin. Aelin's doom. But while he did not guess correctly about our queen's origin, he still knew that his fire, she greatly feared his fire, as all true Valg do. Nezrin tucked away that colonel. He left, building his kingdom far away, and she built her defenses too. So many clever defenses, should Erwin rise again and realize what the queen he had sought for his brother, conquered worlds to find, was here all along. That she had built armies of fey and would let them battle each other. A spider's web. That's what Maeve was. Vulcan reached Nezrin's hand, chewing through the silk there. Sartak remained unconscious, so perilously close to the spider. So you've waited these thousands of years for her to return to these mountains? She ordered us to hold the pass, to guard the rips in the world, and so we have, and so we will, until she summons us to her side once more. The spider tells the story that happens pre-dawn of time, part of it, pre-dawn of time, 
in the Valg homeworld. I say pre-dawn of time because all of the, the context of the timeline that we have of Brannon and Maeve is quote-unquote the dawn of time. This is why I think that this is happening the exact same time 1500 years ago for a few for a few reasons there's a few landmarkers that really stick out to me that parallel the other universes history but before we get into the Val Kings and what happened with them and then what happened with Maeve when she gets to Aurelia and Brandon and Anthral and all that stuff we get a little bit of information about the mother and what's interesting is that I think that this is another instance of history not being true because it says that in throne of glass 27 that the mother goddess is a spirit from one of those other worlds and that she strayed through something called the word gate and found aurelia in need a form of life but there had been an ancient civilization that had disappeared through the word gate thing runes still existed runes too old to be a fame making so here's what i think i think that the story of quote-unquote creation that they have in Aurelia is is just a kind of like a tale of what we actually have in Perithian. And the reason why I think that is because in Perithian we can kind of corroborate the actual story of creation because it comes from the cauldron. And we have seen, smelled, touched, and baptized people in that cauldron. We've seen what happens when the cauldron breaks and how it is actually tethered to the land and so that if the cauldron goes, the land goes. Therefore, what happens that we learn in Akatar 18 with the mural and all that stuff has to be the truth that the fae came from the cauldron from the mother and so I think that the story of the Aurelian fae they actually come from Perithian and that they have a slight version of the cauldron story but they've taken out the cauldron because they're like a cauldron what we don't have a cauldron you know just like one of those times where history is a little bit twisted it also says in this time that or in this pre-dawn history with the mother that the mother had children and that they were the gods that they have in throne of glass but we know that's not true anymore because it's stated multiple times especially throughout kingdom of ash that the gods of throne of glass are not actually from aurelia or gods at all they're actually just creatures of quote-unquote higher being that they've called gods they're not they're not from aurelia they're not real gods moving on we get a lot of history about the Val kings in the chapter that I had read to you and that is that the kings waged a mighty war a war to end all wars which is kind of a lie because they've constantly been warring their entire lives but so the kings wage the war and they win the world and they turn it into their disgusting little cesspit trash bin toilet dumpster fire and they have a thousand years where they rule in relative peace quote-unquote peace for Valg and then Maeve appears in the Koa 20 story of that we did Maeve says she was born I think it's interesting that she says she was born but the the spiders who know the story say that she just appeared and what's even more interesting is that this a thousand year time period and then something appearing lines perfectly with the story of the Daglin they defeated the Daglin a thousand years of quote-unquote peace happens and then Finan raises up to become High King. Finan was not High King for very long because, as we learn in House of Sky and Breath, the Asteria came after a thousand years, after their siblings had died a thousand years later. So it all lines up and that they opened up the gates a thousand years later, Maeve appears a thousand years later, her power and quote-unquote new dark song in the world. That term, a new dark song, is 
immediately bringing me to Adis in the epilogue of House of Earth and Blood when he's talking with Jezeba and he says Hell's dark song called to him. I'm not saying that Maeve isn't Valg, but I am saying I don't think she's 100% Valg. I also think it's interesting that her power is rel is new, but she has a lot of the same powers as the Valg King, so I don't know why they were so enamored with her when she basically could do the exact same thing that they could do, unless you're talking about her world walking and fate twisting, which is kind of cool. So Maeve appears. Maeve or marries Orcreus. They go to war together. We're not sure how long she was with Orcreus before she got bored of him and decided to world walk. Maeve goes to Aurelia, and that's where we get this. In Koa 6, it just kind of reiterates the fact that Maeve was not a Valg queen at all, but a Valg imposter, an ancient Valg queen who had infiltrated Dornell at the dawn of time, ripping into the two sister queens' minds and convincing them they had an elder sister. It doesn't say how long Maeve ruled in, with this, with the two sisters before she met Anthral. What we know about Anthral, we're going to discuss in great depth next week. I have become absolutely obsessed with Anthral and how he might tie to the Bone Carver. Because as you'll see in a second, there's a story that sounds very familiar that we've heard before, and. The story that parallels it is this. In Air Fire 35, it says, What the fool learned that night was this. The creature, almost as old as the mountain itself, it claimed to have been born in another world, but had slipped into this one when the gods were looking elsewhere. It had preyed upon fey and humans until a mighty fey warrior challenged it. And before the warrior was through, he carved up one of the creature's eyes uh, for spite or for sport, and curse the beast, so that as long as the mountain stood, the creature would be forced to live beneath it. A monster from another realm, had it been let in during the Valg Wars, when the demons had opened and closed portals to other worlds at will. How many horrific creatures that dwelled in this land were only here because of those long-ago battles over the word keys. So it dwelled in the labyrinth of underwater caves under the mountain. It has no name, for it had forgot what it was called long ago, and those who meet it do not return home. At the same time that this is happening, the Valg kings make keys and go world walking. We've we've talked about how they made the Valg the keys before. They used women who were just like Yurine. They broke the word gate. They made the keys. They went world walking. We don't know how long they were world walking. We don't know how many words, worlds they went to. And we don't know how they ended up in Aurelia. But what is interesting is that, or the Throne of Glass world, I, I just call it Aurelia, but I don't know if Aurelia is the name of a continent or if it's the name of the world. But I think what's interesting is that when we see Aelin go through the world, it goes Perithian, then it goes Aurelia. So by that logic, if they were literally just going one world after the other, after the other, after the other, until they reached Aurelia, they would have gone from Perithian to Aurelia. So that might explain why there are some Valg left, or Valg-like creatures left in Perithian, if it wasn't from the Daglin. So now what's going to happen is what I was kind of screeching about at the end of my episode, as there's something really exciting and mind-blowing that I learned when talking about timeline, and that is what happens next. The Valg kings arrive in Aurelia, and then what begins is called the First War. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. 1,500 years ago, in Crescent City, Hell and Thea, the Starborn, and the Asteri fought in what is called the First 
wars. This is where I am now convinced that the timelines are actually lined up with each other and that they're all happening somewhat, that the stories are happening somewhat simultaneously. Because how can you have first war in Aurelia and the first wars in Midgard and not have them somehow parallel each other timeline-wise? Especially when we have that thousand years thing, especially when we have what happened with Amrin and what happened with this cave monster. It all just sort of lines up. We have a fey warrior who's going around trapping people at the same time as another fey warrior in Perithian is trapping ancient beings and confining them to lakes. <laughs> so it all lines up somewhat fairly perfectly in my mind. When the first wars happen, the kings come and they end up creating the witches. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what, what goes on with the witches because I'd like to spend a whole episode dedicated to Manon and the witches and what we know about the witches. I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but eventually I do want to have that and I don't want to just be repeating myself constantly, even though I feel like that's all that I do. We're not sure how long this, the first war goes on for, but we do know that this happens. In Fire 60, it says, you never gave the keys to Brannon. You did not journey with Brannon and Anthral to retrieve the keys from the Valg, Selena went on. A crown of fire wreathing her head. You went to steal them for yourself. You wanted to keep them. Once Brannon and Anthral realized that, they fought you. And Anthral, Selena drew Goldwyn, its hilt glowing blood red. Your beloved Anthral, dearest friend of Brannon. When Anthral fought you, you killed him. You not the Valg. And in your grief and shame, you were weakened enough that Brannon took the keys from you. It wasn't some enemy force who sacked the sun goddess's temple. It was Brannon. He burned every trace of himself, any clue to where he was going so that you could not find him. He left only Anthral's sword in honor of his friend in the cave where Anthral had first carved out the eye of that poor lake creature and never told you. After Brandon left these shores, you did not dare follow him, not when he had the keys, not when his magic, my magic, was so strong. So we learn that Maeve steals the keys, and in that time, we don't know how long she had them, but she does steal the keys. She sends back Orcreus and Manatix, but then Brandon and Anthral steal the keys from her before she was able to banish Irwin. Irwin flees and hides in Rune Mountains to lick his wounds and build his own army to rise again later. What's interesting is how Brandon gets the keys. Brandon gets the keys because somehow, by accident, I'm assuming it is, Anthro gets killed by a temper tantrum that Maeve throws. I am inclined to believe, this is headcanon, this is, this is theory, but it makes sense and I'll tell you why, that Anthro and Maeve were mates. I'm not sure if they solidified their bond in any way, but if Anthro was killed in the battle, and then she was quote-unquote weakened, she could have been weakened because her mating bond was shredding through her soul, and that gave Brandon just enough time to steal them from her and hightail it out of there while she was in a weakened state. Think about when Reese feels the bond snap between them, it's pure agony. When Reese dies, Farrah is like pure agony. She's like distraught. And what's also interesting and kind of feeds into this is that in all the conversations of Anthral and Brannon, Maeve will shit talk Brannon till she's blue in the face. She hates Brannon. She would never, she doesn't ever say a single ill word about Anthral. She actually doesn't talk about him at all. And if that's because that 
because how easy would it have been for her to be like, oh, I tricked Anthral. He, I tricked him into my bed and I played him the fool. But she never does that. She never does that. And I think that's incredibly interesting. So I'm inclined to believe that Anthro was actually Maeve's mate. But if Maeve is the one who actually landed the killing blow, whether on accident or on purpose, it makes me a little nervous because everyone's been saying, oh, mates can't hurt mates, but maybe they can. <laughs> the next thing that happens in the timeline is Brandon flees Wendelin and goes to Terrison. Before he goes to Terrison, he does this. In Airfire 57, it says, around the neck of every one of our ancestors, going back to Brandon himself, when he stopped at the sun goddess's temp say that 10 times fast when he stopped at the sun goddess's temple to take the medallion from mala's high priestess mm, very interesting and then destroyed the entire site to prevent anyone from retracing his steps the medallion of cerulean blue with the white sun stag crowned with an immortal flame the stag of mala firebringer upon leaving wendelin shores brannon had stolen those same stags away to terrison and installed them in oakwald brannon had placed the third sliver of the word key inside the amulet and never told a soul what he had done with it. We learn a little bit more about these immortal stags, and, and I, I'm going to talk about it now because I don't think they should get their own episode, but I think it's really interesting. In Queen of Shadows 43, it says, the cerulean blue front of the ivory stag and the golden star between its antlers, the immortal stag of Mala Firebringer, brought over to these lands by Brandon himself and set free in the Oakwald forest. What's interesting about all of this is that Mala gives Aelin the power of a burning star. We have the burning star between its antlers, an immortal burning star between the antlers, and the Asteri have the immortal star burning within them. I'm not sure how it connects, I'm not sure if it connects, but it does make me... <laughs> makes those little red, little blinking lights in my brain go, ah, ah, Sarah, ah, Sarah, what does this mean? We later learn that it wasn't just Brannon who left. It was Brannon and Mala. Mala ties herself to a mortal body and her and Brannon mate and they have children, multiple children, Elena is not Brandon's heir. He actually somewhat disgraces Elena in, in, in some ways. And we'll see why in a second. But Brandon has multiple children with Mala, which is interesting in itself. And they live for an undisclosed amount of time in relative peace. It doesn't say how old Elena was when her and Gavin meet, but we do learn this about Gavin. In Crown of Midnight 22... There, atop the family tree, was Gavin Haviliard, the mortal prince who had taken his warband into the depths of Rune Mountain to challenge the Dark Lord Irwin. The war had been long and brutal, and at the end, only a third of the men who had ridden with Gavin came out of those mountains. But Gavin also emerged from the war with his bride, the Princess Elena, the half-fey daughter of Brannon, Terrison's first king. It was Brannon himself who gave Gavin the territory of Alderlin as a wedding gift, and a reward for the prince and princess's sacrifice during the war. And since then, no fey blood has bred into their line. Dorian followed the tree down, down, and down, just long-forgotten families whose lands were now called by different names. So when Brandon fled, ran, went to his own continent, he 
owned quite a large chunk of land to himself, but he ends up giving a portion of that to his daughter and her mate husband. What's really interesting about this is that Gavin picks a very weird place for him to build his capital, and we're going to talk about where he built his capital and why I think it's important next week when we talk about the bone carver and anthril and how they might tie together. But I just want to keep that in your head that that's interesting. It's interesting that that's things kind of happened and lined up the way that they did as if somebody was planning something all along. It doesn't say how long this, what they call the demon wars, the wars between Irwin and the, and Terrison, basically, or Alderlin and Terrison. But we do know this. In EOS 39, it says there was once a great city in the heart of the marshes, Elena breathed. It is now half drowned on a plain. In a temple at its center, we laid the remnants of the lock. My father attained the lock at terrible cost, the cost of my mother's body, her mortal life. A lock for the word keys to seal the gates and bind the keys inside of them forever. I did not understand what it had been intended for. My father never told me about any of it until it was too late. All I knew was that the lock was only to be able to used once. It's power capable of sealing anything we wished, so I stole it and used it for myself, for my people. I've been paying for the crime ever since. Then she says later down, my mother died to forge that lock. Elena's eyes snap, eyes blazing bright. She let go of her mortal body so that she could forge the lock for my father. I was the one who broke the promise for how it was to be used. Aelin blinked, and Dorian wondered if he should indeed be worried when even she was speechless. But Aelin only whispered, who was your mother? Dorian ransacked his memory, all of his history lessons on his royal house, but he couldn't recall. Elena made a sound that might have been a sob, her image fading into cobwebs and moonlight. She who loved my father best, she who blessed him with such mighty gifts, and then bound herself in a mortal body and offered him the gift of her heart. Aelin's arms slackened at her sides and Aiden blurted, shit. Elena laughed humorously as she said to Aelin, why do you think you burn so brightly? It is not just Brannon's blood that is in your veins, but Mala's. Aelin breathed. Mala Firebringer was your mother. And then later, in Empire Storm 65, we learn this. The cost, her mother's body, the life that she had wanted for herself with Brannon and their children. It had been ten years since then. Ten years her father had never stopped waiting for Mala's return, hoping he'd see her again just once. I will not remember you, Mala had said to them before she had given herself to the lock forging, and yet there she was, pausing as if she remembered. So 10 years, then a few months, and then Elena is in the battle with Gavin, and they lock away Erwin. And that's that. Well, that's that for that. <laughs> and then we get, this is where it gets a little confusing about the millennias and millenniums. When they're talking about Elena's death, they say it was about a thousand years ago. But then when they're talking about the Witch Wars and the Eye of Elena, but then Dorian says Elena predates the Witch Wars by a millennium, which is the singular version of a thousand years. But we know the Witch Wars happened 500 years ago, so that would mean that Elena predates the Witch Wars by 1500 years, a thousand five hundred years. It's a little murky, but we do know that she died. She was at old age. It doesn't say how long, she doesn't say how old she was when she died, but she was, it was okay that she had died. She had seen her children grow up. So I'm going to assume that Gavin and Elena met when Gavin was 
roughly 20-ish, let's say. And let's say Elena dies when she was 90. 90 is a good age for an old person to be happily dead. So minus that by 20, let's say the war went on. We know that there was at least 10 years before the war that they decided with the lock. So that's another one. So 60 years, Irwin gets locked away roughly to Elena dying. What's interesting about all of that is that Brandon is still alive. Brandon is still young looking, looks good. They do say that Brandon's flame was flickering, quote unquote, when they were going to fight Irwin, Elena, and Gavin. But I'm almost wondering if it was quote unquote flickering because Brandon was spending the, those 10 years basically tunneling into his power so he might not have been using it as much because he was trying to save as much as he could because when they used the lock they wanted he wanted something left he didn't he wasn't gonna, he wasn't totally sacrificing himself that's the whole beauty of their plan mala and him had totally figured out how no one would have to die to set to shut the word gate to send the ear went back to get the gods home and for mala and him i'm assuming mala was going to go with him to the, to the afterworld. But then his daughter messes everything up. So I don't think he was really fading. I think he just wasn't using his power because he was planning on using all of it to shut the word gate. And they just think he was fading, but he wasn't because he was still young. And we see this death in Empire of Storms 68. It says, then an image of Brandon alone, head in his hands, weeping before a shrouded body atop a stone altar. A crone's bent shape lay beneath. Elena, her immortal grace yielded in order to live out a human lifespan with Gavin. Brandon still looked no older than thirty. Brandon, the heat of a thousand forges shining on his red gold hair, his teeth bared in a snarl as he pounded the metal disc into an anvil, the muscles in his back rippling beneath the golden skin as he struck and struck and struck. He forged the amulet of Orinth as he placed the sliver of the black stone within either side and then sealed it. Defiance written in every line of his body, and then wrote the message in word marks on the back. One message for her, for his true heir. Should Elena's punishment and promise to the gods hold true, the punishment and promise that cleaved them, that Brandon could not and would not accept, not while he had any strength left. Nameless is my price, written there in word marks. The one who bore Brandon's mark when he walked into that molten river, into that burning heart of his beloved, and Brandon, King of Terrison, Lord of Fire, did not emerge again. So Brandon was alive for the dawn of time, died after his daughter. His daughter died roughly about exactly a thousand years from when Aelin was born. After Brandon is gone, there's a few key points in history that happen. The first one is the dragons. We learn that there were dragons in Aurelia, dragons like the ones we see in Crescent City, and we learn in Koa 8 that Maeve has something from them. And I'm only going to read the history part of it because it's kind of a traumatizing scene. But she says, I have seen many wars, sent my warriors to fight them and end them. I have seen how destructive they are. The very glass you lay on, sorry, comes from one of those wars, you know, from the glass mountains in the south. They were once sand dunes, but the dragons burned them to glass during an ancient and bloody conflict. 
a hum of amusement. Some claim it is the hardest glass in the world, the most unyielding. I thought, given your own fire-breathing heritage, you might appreciate its origin. And then a little farther down it says, because I'm going to skip the awful bits, The dragons didn't survive the war, and they never rose again. Her lips curved, and Aelin knew that Maeve had ensured it. Other fire-wielders hunted and killed. She didn't know why she felt it then, a shred of sorrow for creatures that had not existed for untold centuries, who would never again be seen on this earth. So centuries is a hundred years, so a few hundred years. It would be after Brannon, because he was a thousand years, and then a few hundred years, which lines up around the time of Mab and Mora <laughs> either being forced to yield their immortality or choosing to to get away from their quote-unquote sister. But that happened a little over 500 years ago. We don't have an exact time, but it just says a little over 500 years ago, which makes sense because Mab is Aelin's great-grandmother. So Aelin, Aelin's mom, Aelin's mom's mom, which is not that long ago for Fae years, so that makes sense. And the last thing that happens in history is the Witch Wars, which happened exactly 500 years ago, and we learned that in Crown of Midnight 19. It says, Dorian had heard legends of the fallen witch kingdom where bloodthirsty witches had overthrown the peaceful Crokin dynasty and ripped apart the kingdom stone by stone. 500 years later, songs were still sung of the deadly wars that had left the Iron Teeth clans the only ones standing on the killing field. Dead Crokin queens all around them. But the last Crokin queen had cast a spell to ensure that as long as the Iron Teeth banner flew, no bit of soil would yield a life to them. It's very hard for me to do because I didn't want to sound boring, but there's just so much information. I really just wanted to have a clear and concise thing without sounding winded and without just constantly repeating myself because all of these, all the times we get any kind of history in Throne of Glass, it's large chunks of information and each paragraph starts at the dawn of time and ends with like 500 years ago. And so it's kind of hard to break up the information and put it all in chronological order without just getting... But here's the quick breakdown for those of you who just want the fast rundown. We have pre-dawn of time. There were people in Aurelia. They left. Hated it. Mother came. She remodeled it. Mama, Mama came without her bucket this time. She left the bucket at her other house and remodeled her new home for her other kids. In a different neighborhood, there were three bros. They won a war. They had fun, partied for a thousand years, just them and their bros, when a gold digger appeared <laughs> and took the eldest. She only had the eldest because she wanted his stuff. She got it. She went snooping through his things while he was off, ignoring his wife because she was awful. She found things in his stuff and took it for her own. Peaced out, but didn't divorce him. Weird. Found a new home. Broke into it. The owners didn't like her, but she told them to suck it up. They sucked it up. She met a cute little golden retriever boyfriend. She was his grumpy counterpart. They were together for some time. Her sugar daddy came back. <laughs> came to her world. Partied. Had kids. <laughs> she didn't like that. She wanted their toys. She was jealous. Who knows? She steals from her, her other, her husband, her sugar daddy, sends him back home, maybe, probably not, because she's kind of awful. 
throws a temper tantrum when she won't share because she's evil and the worst, kills her golden retriever boyfriend, his best friend, steals her stuff, builds an ark, puts some deer on it, steals her deer, takes the deer, sets him up in a new home, builds his throne up, has a goddess girlfriend, they take over the entire chunk of the continent, they have kids, they have one daughter who is actually the worst, I know, I hate to say it, but she was dumb and I don't like her. She mated with a dude who was actually also the worst, Brandon, Brandon hated Gavin. It doesn't say why, but I'm gonna assume it's because he decided that he was gonna start the war with Irwin. It literally says that Gavin went to Rune Mountains solely to challenge Irwin for no reason at all. I don't know. Don't know why he did it. Moving on. They half win, half lose. All they do is they they get out of there, but piss off Irwin. So he ends up coming after them. They get some land. He builds a castle. Brandon's wife gives up her body to give him a necklace. His daughter steals the necklace wastes it, shrugs her shoulders, lives a long, happy life, dies, hurt Brannon, distraught, lost everyone in his life, is old as dirt but looks hot, (laughs) makes a new necklace, leaves that, walks into a pit of lava, (laughs) calls a day. On the other side of the continent, Maeve's sister's literally get so sick of her that they would rather die old deaths than be around her for another millennia, millennium, and they die. The witches throw a temper tantrum. Most of them die. Aelin's born. Everyone's life is misery. Aelin's life is misery. Aelin shuts the gate. The end. There you go. The story of throwing a glass. <laughs> in five minutes or less. So next week, we're going to be talking about Anthral. I am obsessed with him, almost to the point of where I'm obsessed with, like, the Bone Carver, and the Bone Carver is my favorite character, so that's saying something. But I think that they actually might tie together, and we're going to talk about it next week. And I'm very, very excited for that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were able to take what resonates with you. If, there, if you are a timeline thrower outer i i i see it like they're the rings i see the swords like i see it all how it could be but i'm also just like i want everything to line up together so it might just be my own perception of me like wanting everything to happen at the same time so that they're like is a so like if all three roads are traveling at the same speed in the same direction and how will they all three end up crossing together like that's what i want to see but I do see the theories of, like, could Lydia be Rowan and Aelin's line with the stag and all that stuff? But, like, there could be other explanations now that I'm thinking about it. Like, maybe the stag is one of Mala's stags, and they were actually shapeshifters. Maybe the stags that we see in Throne of Glass are shifters, and we just don't know it. I'm actually a big fan of, like, a lot of people in the Throne of Glass world, like, being stuck in their animal forms, even after, like, the walls came down. Like, Abraxas having, like, a fey form. I'm obsessed with that idea. I have no can- I, I have no evidence to support this theory, but I just love the idea of it. Other than the fact that Abraxas is super smart, understands, like, 
understands things, has a mate and all that stuff. So he like lines up with the Fae, but whatever. So maybe that's how it all ties in. But I don't know. Like Tamlin could be Lysandra and Adian's son, like from their line. If it's just stuff that could make sense if Throne of Glass is in the past. You know, who was that Fae female that the Asteri show reaching out their hand at the end of House Ab? Could it have been Aelin? Aelin says she might turn Conqueror if she ever gets bored. Aelin gets bored very often. Did she turn Conqueror? And did she try to rule other worlds? Did it backfire? Like, all that stuff. I do see if the timelines don't add up, but if the timelines do add up, it does make some sense because then the Fae could have all came from the same world. Then the Val Kings opening the rifts, one of the Val Kings could be Amran's father. Like, stuff like that could line up that I would like to see line up, but that's just because I like those theories because they're my theories, and that's that. I'm gonna end today's class because I feel like I've been rambling for so long, and it's so boring. I don't, I feel like today's episode was just so boring, and I'm, like, hating it. I, like, hate this episode now because I feel like I was just boring. But next week I get to be unhinged and in theory mode and that is where I thrive. So yeah, I guess there's that. But these episodes are really important because this is how I learn by putting together all these notes and by talking out loud. So I can't have the three episodes without having all the canon evidence first. So it does go hand in hand, but it does make for boring episodes, I feel. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye.